Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are already doing. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I have a love-hate relationship with church signs and billboards. Every once in a while, I'll pass by a church with a sign in the yard that just knocks me back with laughter. I'll never forget the time I was driving shortly after I got my driver's license. I passed by a local Presbyterian church where I grew up, and the sign said this, The church isn't full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. (laughs) And then there are those really witty signs that are actually biblically accurate and memorable. For instance, I once was lost in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, and I saw a handwritten sign in the front yard of a very small chapel, and it said this, Quick, look busy, Jesus is coming. Or, there are those that always hit just a little too close to home for me. Like the one that said this, Having trouble sleeping? We have sermons, come hear one. (laughs) Or the equally pastoral, Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. (laughs) And then there are those signs that you just can't help but wonder who in the world thought it would be good and appropriate to put this up for the whole world to see. Like this one. Don't let worries kill you. The church can help. (laughs) Or one that makes me groan like every bad dad joke ever. God always answers our knee mail. And a good one for the summertime. Can't take the heat outside? Don't worry. This church is prayer conditioned. That's just embarrassing. Who wants to go to a church that has that in its front yard? But there is one church sign. One sign that trumps all other signs, in my opinion. One that has stuck with me throughout the years. And this is what it said. To whomever stole our AC unit, keep it. You'll need it where you're going. And for every funny and witty and wonderful church sign there are, there are an equal number of terrible and shameful and embarrassing church signs as well. I can remember driving with my family as a pretty young kid, looking out the window, and I saw a church with a sign that said this, No gay marriage. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. There was quite a controversy years ago in a small southern community where a few teenagers died in a horrific car accident. And the very next day, the local Baptist church put up a sign that said this, Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. And last weekend, my family and I were driving down to Durham, North Carolina. And as we passed through the city of Richmond, we saw this huge billboard with giant letters and all it said was the end is near accept Jesus or go to hell these billboards and these signs they shout at passing cars and pedestrians about the brokenness of our world and our desperate need 
to change. They play into our fears and our frustrations. They tap into our emotions and they make it all about us. Notice, of all the signs that I just described, none of them are about God. They're all about you and me. It's very strange. And because we take our lessons today from the world rather than from God's word, we let these phrases slip off of the billboards and they start showing up in worship. So that a lot of what we do on Sunday morning is about what we think. It's all about us and it's not about God. We ask questions like, what did you get out of church today? When instead the question is, what did God get out of us? We preach and we hear sermons that end with something like, Let us now go and do likewise. And we forget that God is the one moving in and through people like you and me. We make church all about us. And we've forgotten that church is always about God. The letter that Pam read for us, it's from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. And it's apocalyptic. Apocalypticism is one of those frightening words that we tend to avoid at all costs. Because when we hear the word apocalypse, we imagine in our minds those very frightening movie scenes. You know, the ones with fire raining down from the sky, with death and destruction all around us. We think about those people who wear signs on their bodies on the street corners, and we think about those not-so-subtle church billboards near the highway. But apocalypse, all it means is revelation. Apocalypses are the revelation of God. They are moments of divine presence that break down every barrier in our lives. And these kind of writings, they always bubble up to the surface whenever Christians feel pressured by the world. Whether it's under the rule of Rome or slavery or just the system itself, they put all of life's choices into one of two categories. Is it godly or is it of the devil? And when life feels that bad, when it feels like everything is falling apart, God's revelation, this inbreaking of the divine, it might be the only thing that gives us hope. I think it should come as no surprise to all of us here that considering what has taken place over across the American landscape over the last year, many people, Christians in particular, believe the end is near. Evangelicals feel attacked and belittled by the federal government for just about everything under the sun these days. Pastors like me lament from the pulpit about the so-called war on Christianity or the war on Advent. And people like me strive to frighten people like you into recognizing that the apocalypse is at hand. Even Roy Moore, surely everyone in the room has heard about Roy Moore because he's all the news wants to talk about the current Alabaman Republican candidate for a Senate seat. In light of all the accusations coming in for his sexual harassment and his sexual misconduct, he has denied them vehemently, and he's taken it a step further, and he said that people are attacking him for being a Christian. It's all about fear. Because fear is the great tool of manipulation. Manipulation always takes place when people are afraid. That's why today political races are won by showing what's wrong with the other candidate more than showing what you as a candidate believe in. It's why children today are experiencing the highest levels of anxiety in modern history. 
because of the pressure to perform well rather than being celebrated for what they've accomplished. And it's why churches put up big billboards with slogans like accept Jesus or suffer the consequences instead of, I don't know, something like Jesus loves you. Today, there is so much going on in the world that there is plenty of pressure to forget that you and I, we are citizens of the age yet to come. We forget because fear is too powerful. And even in the letter, Paul appears to the fear of the Thessalonians. He says, you of all people should know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The world might seem nice and good, but that's exactly when sudden destruction will arrive. It's like labor pains in a pregnant woman. There will be no escape. But unlike the billboards that speckle our American landscape, unlike the 24-hour news cycle that is today all about fear, Paul raises the issue of revelation not for fear-mongering, but for encouragement. He says, the world might be falling apart, friends, but we are not in darkness. We are children of the light. We are children of the day. We cannot forget who we are and whose we are. We must remember who we are and whose we are. We must remember all that God has done for us. So, let us clothe ourselves with the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, let us wear the helmet of hope and salvation. For God has destined us for greater things, not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do the good and the hard work of encouraging one another and build each other up. Paul, throughout the centuries, is talking to that church in Thessalonica and talking to you and me. And he's saying those words we desperately need to hear. Stay the course. Remember, we belong to the light. Trust God. Build the kingdom. Love one another. And all of those things are far better than what we see on church signs these days. Last Sunday, about an hour after this service ended, I got a call from Louise, our church secretary. Uh, and you might not know this, but Sunday afternoons, that's holy time for preachers. Because on Sunday afternoons, preachers go home and they go to sleep. <laughs> after trying to keep you all awake during Sunday morning, they go home and they rest. So when I get a phone call on Sunday afternoon, I know that it's important. And so I answered her, I said, hey Louise, what's going on? And she proceeded to tell me what had just taken place. Most of you probably can't see it. Some of you can. If you look out our window here, to the corner of our property, we have this beautiful church sign. It's brick and mortar. It's Coast Green Methodist Church. It's been there for a long time. On Sunday afternoon, a drunk driver was traveling down the road at such a high velocity, he failed to curve, and he drove straight off the road, and he rammed into our church sign. He hit it at such a high velocity that it flipped his car over as it destroyed the sign, and it flew another 30 feet before it came to a stop. Louise, when I was talking to her, she handed the phone over to the police officer, and I said, what happened? What's going on? Is the man okay? And the police officer just kept saying the same thing over and over again. He's so lucky to be alive. 
I mean, you can go out there after church day, you can see the tire marks that are still there, you can see how the, the brick and mortar has really been destroyed. I've been thinking about what happened to that man all week. I mean, he got he went to the hospital pretty much right away. He just suffered cuts and bruises. He's really, really fortunate. And I thought about a couple things. One, God is strange when God pairs up the word that we read in church with things that happen. Because this happened on Sunday, and we had not planned it, but the reading today says, let us be sober, you know? Let's not drive drunk at 1 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. All I kept thinking about was, what if it had happened on Monday? What if it had happened one day later? There's an elementary school with a playground right across the street from us. What if he had been traveling the other direction? I've been playing these in my mind over and over again. And as I read this passage from 1 Thessalonians, as I read about Paul saying we need to encourage and build one another up, as I thought about all the church signs that I can't stand, and then you realize how grateful I am for ours. Because ours just says Cokesbury United Methodist Church. It doesn't say anything else. Because all I could think about was what if he had died? What if he had died? And the last thing he saw before he died was something like on one of those terrible church signs. What if the last thing he ever saw was a church telling him he's going to go to hell if he doesn't believe? What if that was the last thought to cross his mind before he died? Life is way too short. And life is way too precious. For us to spend so much time belittling one another. To use words of fear and of hurt and of anger. Because as that driver knows, better than most of us, tomorrow is never promised. Paul writes to the church and he writes to us and he says, You have received the greatest gift of all in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. You You have been awakened to God's movements in the world. You have the privilege of being God's people who live in the light. You get to experience the profound and wonderful mystery of resurrection here and now. Friends, we can, like others, spend our days worried about what will happen to us when we die. We can fall prey to the fearful signs that fill our horizons. But Christ died so that we might live. Therefore, instead of breaking one another down, we build each other up. Instead of using fear to manipulate, we give thanks to God for the gift of love. And instead of cowering in the shadow of the cross, we dance in the light of resurrection. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I shared the story with the children and youth about what happened to me when I was in the fifth grade. <laughs> I still remember how that felt. I'm willing to bet that if I went by, I could call on anybody in the sanctuary right now, and you could share a time where someone said just one hurtful thing, whether it was a year ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and you'd be able to convey how that still matters to you, how that still hurts. For some reason, there's something wrong with our brains. We almost always remember the negative and we forget the positive. 
I don't know what it is about us, but we do it all the time. It's like when you come home from work and your spouse or your friend says, hey, how was work today? We never say anything good. We always just complain. I don't know what it is about us, but we do this all the time. So I thought about it at the 8.30 service this morning. I didn't plan to do it, but we did it, and we're going to do it again. I want us all to stand up in a second. Find someone you know in the sanctuary. Find someone you don't know, and tell them you're thankful for them. But here's, here's the tricky part. Yeah, you kind of have to me. I don't want to just fill this space with empty words. Find someone, tell them you're thankful for them to mean it. Because whether you know it or not, it might be the most important thing they hear today. It might be the most important thing you hear today. So, let's stand and be thankful for what